I'm so glad that you have joined us tonight, and we are excited about the opportunity that we have to talk to an incredible minister of the gospel, missionary, uh, former Navy SEAL, and you're going to be blessed by tonight. We are excited about this wonderful day that we have celebrated our mothers, and as as we transition into the week ahead of us, we are going to be focused on what we're calling e-global, and that is all of the different individuals around the world that bring the gospel to so many different countries. And so we're excited about that. We're going to be hearing from Brother uh, Bruce Howell tomorrow night, and then uh, Brother Nathan Herod from Spain, and uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, Brother Abernathy on Wednesday night as he talks about prophecy Thursday night. We're going to hear from uh, Brother Corbin in Bangladesh, and then Friday night, Brother Charles Robinette in Berlin, Germany. But tonight we have a very special guest, missionary John Wolfram. He was a missionary for a number of years in Vietnam, still works with uh, the Vietnamese-speaking churches here in America, North America. And uh, if you have any questions that you want to ask, we just invite you to, to go ahead and just jump in there and Tell us what questions you have. You can submit those questions, and we'll uh, we'll ask John. We've even got a video that we're going to show, and uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about uh, John Wolfram's life. John was the first frogman in the water back then. Those Navy SEALs were called frogmen, and he was the first one in the water whenever the Apollo 11 mission came back from the moon, which of course included. Um, um, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, first men to walk on the moon. And uh, John was the first human on earth to greet them. He was the first one in the water, and uh, he signaled to them his thumbs up. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that, and then how God saved him, and uh, how he ended up becoming a missionary to Vietnam. So, John, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here tonight on eChat. Well, thank you for inviting me, Brother Myers, and the First Pentecostal Church, we greet you. Amen. You know, since you were with us last, you were with us at the 4th of July week, we've changed our name to East Wind. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's good. You probably know, what happened, what happened you to know something about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, East Wind Pentecostal Church now. It, we're uh, excited, and it's been it's been really fun. Of course, the east wind refers to that east wind that blew and opened up the Red Sea, and the sure. east wind that blew in the manna. Yeah, it's been it's been a great, um, just a great identification for us to be able to demonstrate to others the power of God to make a way where there seems to be no way. So uh, we welcome you, and we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we've got a, a little video that we're going to show that uh, talks a little bit about um, your life, and um, it uh, introduces you uh, to our audience. And I know a lot of people um, are familiar uh, with you as you've spoke here at East Wind for um, uh, a few years, and uh, been always been a great blessing. We, we welcome Doxy uh, Morgan and Barbara Bazden, Pam Leisure, uh, Stephen DeBolt, Sister Esther, Leonard Waithe, Kayla Hayes, Chuck and Janet McClary, they're all coming online. And those are friends of ours that are um, a part of our East Wind family. But John, we're so happy that you're here. We just want to start out by uh, asking you a little bit about 
um, your experience when you were just a, a young man and you joined the Navy SEALs. How did that first happen? How were you uh, recruited to become a Navy SEAL? Well, I graduated from high school in 1967, and uh, I didn't have any plans for college. And if I didn't do something real quick, I'd probably get drafted. Uh, I had been researching the Navy for several years. I saw a documentary on uh, the SEALs training and so forth, the Navy frogmen, and I went to see a recruiter. He told me I could do it. He said, just sign right here. So I did. Then I went off to boot camp, took a screen test for uh, the underwater demolition training, passed that, got orders to go back right in January of 1968, and uh, went through training there, went through jump school, diving school, survival school. Then they sent me over to Vietnam. When I came back, um, they were into the Apollo uh, 10 and 11 recoveries, and our team came up to help. And uh, I volunteered to be one of the team members. On Apollo 10, I was uh, on a backup. I could have got in the water if our helicopter would have been the right spot, but uh, there was another crew there. So I was a backup, but it got me some experience. And when Apollo 11 came up, uh, they asked me to continue on and I was put on a primary team. And uh, we were very fortunate to at that time of our lives to be involved in that. Wow. Did you, did you swim in high school or did you just start? I was, a high school. I was actually, I joined uh, the summer swim teams in Wisconsin when I was about uh, 10 years old and uh, loved the water and I just continued on through high school. And uh, so I guess I was a pretty good swimmer by the time I joined the Navy. When you got into the SEAL training, were you, were you thinking this was much different than what I was thinking it was going to be? Definitely, they had they had a few <laughs> challenges. <laughs> it was the it was the cold water that really uh, separated the men from the boys. You know, I was uh, I did three sports in high school, so I was in pretty good shape when I went. Most of the guys that started that training were likewise in good shape. But it was that real cold water that uh, got to everybody. In the water every day, you just freeze for months. Yeah, and that was it. Did you ever come? Did was you that? ever come close to quitting? Um, I don't think so. You you have to kind of make up your mind day one that you're just not going to do that. I'm sure it crossed all of our minds, but. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to quit unless I got uh, injured or something. Oh, wow. Tell us a little bit about this, um, this video that we're going to show where you were interviewed. and You know, uh, the 40th anniversary came up, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, right. K-Love uh, Radio, Christian Station, uh, pursued me and asked me if I would do an interview. And so uh, we did one on the telephone. And uh, it's been sitting around for 10 years. I thought I'd kind of take it out and put some pictures to it. You know, this is a good time when people are kind of shut up in their homes uh, right. to kind of witness to people. And I thought I'd make that video available again to the public and to my friends and possibly other churches that might want to use it to, 
to reach out to the, their lost friends. There's still a lot of people very interested uh, in the space program and the SEAL team training. And uh, when somebody is trying to witness to somebody and they can't bring them to church and they, you know, they can't see them face to face, well, you got the internet. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll put it out there and see what happens. But uh, the Caleb did a good job. He kind of asked me the right questions. And I think I got enough in there where we could share our, our, our message a little bit without scaring people off. Yeah. Now, this past year was the 50th year, right? This past summer? This was the 50th year. And this was quite a deal, too. Um, in fact, it uh, really accelerated the interest out there. Uh, it was amazing. I, I didn't expect to, to get involved in so many interviews. You know, we did some down there with you when you and I went out to NASA. I think there was three stations that interviewed us and one guy right there that worked with NASA. When I was out east doing uh, one of my crusades out there, sharing my testimony, uh, we went, we, we did an interview uh, uh, with uh, the NASA group out east. And that was very interesting. And then the magazine started calling. I was in the Coronado magazine. The Georgia magazine uh, featured me as the hero of the month in the whole state of Georgia for some reason. And uh, Coronado did a, a deal on me. And uh, the Smithsonian did a special magazine features and they, they had me on one of their stories. And then the, the TV started calling. And, the Georgia Public TV came out and interviewed me, did a documentary, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. It was amazing. It was just a lot of interest. And, you know, I, I, I just prayed during the 50th anniversary that God would open up some doors. I really wanted to uh, get my testimony out there. And, you know, I do have that book. And I thought if I could at least get the book in the hands of some of these people. And I've had astronauts order my book and read it and compliment back. And uh, there have been other radio interviews that have been going on where people have read my book and then wanted to do more uh, feature stories and things. But, uh, you know, we only have one life to live. We, we all have a testimony. Paul used his many times. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to waste the 50th anniversary and just sit here. And let all you folks do all the work out there in uh, church land. So I thought I would, I would get back involved a little bit and uh, test the waters. And God really blessed. Wow. You know, one of the things I love that you do, John, and we've had so much fun over the years. I, I hope we can get into this where I was able to go back to Vietnam with you and oh, yeah. crawl through those tunnels, crawl through those tunnels with you. And it's just been such an amazing uh, journey being able to kind of just share a little bit of the splash over of your life and what an impactful life it has been for so many people. But you know, one of the things I have to say that I've always enjoyed and appreciated about your ministry is how that you use the interest that people have in the space program and your your very unique place that you were uh, in that um, Apollo mission program as the first uh, Navy SEAL in the water to to greet those returning astronauts and to um, secure their capsule in the in the Pacific Ocean. What I've always loved is that you use that uh, as a way to really communicate the gospel. You use that as a 
as a door being opened so that then you can tell uh, how that indeed God rescued you, just like you were trained to rescue others and to, and to, and to you know, sort of stabilize their space capsule and make sure they were safe. God looked down and saw you and stabilized your life and rescued you. And uh, I've always appreciated how, how you did that. And of course, I'm sure in the middle of that, you had no idea that would be your journey. But isn't it neat how God prepares you in advance for how he's going to use you in a special way? Yeah, really amazing. One of the things that uh, I really enjoyed about the 50th anniversary is it uh, reconnected me with the high school people that I haven't seen in almost 50 years. I went to my hometown and the local museum there wanted to do a talk, so I went home. And I wasn't sure if anybody was even going to show up, but uh, it was a packed out house. And they said it was the biggest crowd they ever had. It was standing room only. People were just standing up against the walls and uh, people bought my book. And, uh, you know, uh, the Hornet Museum, I went out uh, in the West Coast. And that, that's what another thing was amazing. All these services that I had with different pastors like yourself, when the pastor would, uh, you know, call up the local news or the TV, it brought in more interviews for that local church. And at the Horner Museum, there was like five different TV interviews out there that uh, went all over the world. There were some people from Asia there that uh, did one. And, and all this did is it brought more attention back to uh, Jesus Christ because I wasn't afraid to, to talk about it. And people bought my book, and when they, many people that bought the book would uh, email me and tell me they how much they enjoyed it. In fact, this video that we're going to see, I, I went through my, uh, my uh, list of uh, addresses that people were communicating to me for the interviews and stuff, and I, I sent everybody on my list uh, one of those videos, and I got all kinds of responses back from some of the TV stations that did it and some of the newspapers. And uh, I thought that was kind of neat. You know, I, wow. you got one chance, you got one life to live, you know, and yeah. uh, I'm going <laughs> to make pay uh, when I have a chance. It's amazing. that has been 50 years since that happened. I mean, do you think back and think how has 50 years gone so fast? Well, I'm not sure how fast it went, but <laughs> I'm 71 now, you know. Um, yeah. There were times when it went bad. Yeah. You know, I spent uh, probably 30-some years on the mission field, yeah. uh, you know, different fields. I started off in Samoa, went to the Philippines, and then I had a real, real hard mission uh, assignment in Hawaii. And then when I was in Hawaii, I would start traveling out to Vietnam and Australia and New Zealand and places like that. But when I was in Samoa, we did Fiji and uh, Cook Islands and Tonga and Vanuatu and Tahiti and a lot of the different places. And, uh, you know, some of those memories, I was just going through some of the old slides. I forgot our first house that we lived in was like a barn. And it was just infested with everything you could think of. Uh, every every living creature, I think, uh, was in that house when we first got there. And uh, besides the termites and all of that, and I'm thinking back, you know, that was a long year. <laughs> but uh, we were blessed when we went to the Cook Islands. 
Um, I fasted before I went and I prayed that God would lead me to somebody. And he left, he had led me to uh, a church that was a Trinity Pentecostal church. And I won the entire church and the pastor, he was the chief inspector in the police force. And so there were some, everywhere I've been, there's been a few moments where there's some highlights of how God was there. And, you know, that's what our life is about. Uh, God is working everywhere, Brother Myers. And uh, when when he invites us to join him, there's some beautiful things that happen. And I know you know what I'm talking about. There's just God moments in your life. And uh, I'm just thankful that God was able to use me once in a while. Wow. We're talking with John Wolfram, a missionary for many years uh, in the Pacific Orient area, also in Vietnam. And he was... Uh, the Navy SEAL, the first man in the water to greet the returning astronauts on Apollo 11 um, over 50 years ago now. It was the summer of 69 when that happened. And uh, yet here we are, and uh, we've got so much to talk about. And uh, we're so glad that some of you are joining. Chuck and uh, Janet McClary are watching, Wilma Leffler, Allison Burke, Stephanie Tomorrow. Uh, Jerry, Barbara Bennett, Art Zappa. So glad you guys are joining. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask, feel free to just type them in and uh, we'll try to get those questions to uh, John while we've got him here for a few moments. But just to kind of um, lay the groundwork uh, for some of the great things we want to talk about, John, I'm going to see if we can show this video. I think it's about uh, 16 or 17 minutes long. And I think it does a great job of just really. Uh, capsulizing your uh, life that that really led up to uh, the conversion when the Lord uh, just called you and 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 just put you in a very special place uh, to reach so many people with the gospel. And so we're going to try to show this video. And if it's ready, uh, we'll go ahead and and play it now. And I I think that all of you will uh, enjoy this uh, video. It's positive and encouraging. And it's only on K-Love. Here's Laura Daniels. John Wolfram was the first man in the water to recover the Apollo 11 crew as they splashed down in the Pacific in 1969. And I jumped into the water out of the helicopter after the astronauts landed in the ocean. And my job was to swim up to the capsule, look into the hatch window to see if the astronauts were okay. After giving me a thumbs up, relaying that to the helicopter above, I attached that sea anchor, which was a parachute, a small parachute about 20, about 15 feet in diameter. I swam it out 15 yards and opened it up. And uh, as it went underwater, opened up, it caused uh, the capsule to stabilize. So that was my initial job. Now, were you scared when, when you were doing that? Well, uh, you know, we did encounter sharks on our rehearsals. And I was a little concerned about what I was jumping into. But outside of that, we were uh, trained to be professionals. Uh, we were good swimmers. We were used to swimming in the ocean. And so our part, we rehearsed dozens of times and we headed down pat. And not only was Wolfram the first in the water, he was the first human Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Mike Collins saw upon their return to Earth. Yes, the Navy SEAL was wearing a military-issued wetsuit, but flower decals? What was that about? 
Well, I remember the 1960s. That was kind of a strange time to be a part of this world. We were invaded by those British singing groups with those animal names, you know, like the beetles and birds and monkeys and turtles and animals. And there was a lot going on in the environment of the world at the time, this anti-war segment. And flowers represented peace, you know, the hippie movement. And I guess we just kind of wanted to have fun. We were mavericks, and uh, we are known to be pranksters. On Apollo 10, we put one of those decals on the hatch window, and we got uh, reprimanded for it, and they told us not to do any tomfoolery on this next one. So we had those flower decals. That, so we woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning on the day of the recovery, tried to figure out what we could do with the flowers, I decided just to put them on my wetsuit. Yeah, you had a big grin on your face. You weren't scared at all, were you? Uh, no, we were having a good time. You know, like I mentioned, we were well-trained, prepared for the job. Uh, our, our major concern was the safety of the astronauts, you know, to get them out and also the, the cargo from the moon, the moon rocks and samples. I understand that that picture that, you, that was taken of you made it on a cover of a, ma- a national magazine. Uh, Look Magazine is actually inside. It was a full-page picture, and also the um, National Geographic had, a, a, I think, a full-page picture inside a special issue that came out that year after the Apollo. I'm sitting in the raft, and I'm taking pictures of the, the astronauts going up in the Billy Punat. <laughs> and although you weren't yet a Christian at that point, did you somehow pray that everything was going to work out for them? Of course, you know, a half a billion people were watching this around the world. It was a big event back in the 60s. You know, we John F. Kennedy said we'll land a moon at the end of the decade, and the closer you got, that's all we heard on the news. So the whole world is watching. It was a great day for America. I think everybody should be proud of that day. And what were the odds of a successful rescue? Well, you know, back uh, during the Mercury flight, uh, one of our astronauts, Grissom, went up for 15 minutes, and he came back down and landed in the Atlantic. And when he opened the hatch door, a wave got inside the capsule of water, and it sunk it. So that's when they called on us frogmen to help put a flotation collar around these capsules. And from that point on, we never lost a single capsule when it landed in the ocean. We were pretty sure that if uh, outside of any big storms that might you know, arise at the time, There should be no problem. And so now tell me about the transition away from that spotlight and and into the light of the Lord. Well, right after the Apollo shot, after all the hoopla was over, uh, they sent me back to the Vietnam War. You know, the first time I went, I went as a patriot. You know, uh, we went in high school. John F. Kennedy said that we're bearing your burden, we'll pay any price for freedom. You know, ask not what your country could do for you. So when our country called on us boys to go fight in that war, we just went without any questions asked. But after we got over there, you know, uh, we soon found out that war wasn't being fought in a conventional way. And pretty soon the uh, it was a very controversial time in America. It divided America. By the time I went back the second time, things had changed. And uh, I'd been there, you know. I'd done that and I bought the T-shirt. And I wasn't too excited about going back. Unfortunately, I also got caught up in the drug scene. Uh, Drugs were very popular out in California, and uh, I got involved on that recreationally. 
But before long, it ended up to be a drug binge. And when I went back to Vietnam, I was pretty messed up on some of those drugs. And when I landed on Saigon, I was in a hotel room. I pulled back the sliding glass doors that night as the sun was setting, and I could see that the uh, war was still going on. You could see the puffs of smoke in the distance, sound of gunfire going off. And the enemy started taking control of my life. I was hallucinating, I believe, probably on LSD. And these voices tormented me, reminded me what a louse I was, or showed me faces of the friends that I had lost in the, the war. I lost three high school buddies. And I said, John, you messed up your life. You'll never get your mind back. Why don't you just end your life right now? I walked over to the bed and pulled out a, a nine-millimeter nine pistol out of the holster, and I contemplated taking my life. But before I could pull the trigger, I heard this little voice, and it just said, John, I'm here. I love you, and I got a plan for your life. And that stopped me in my tracks, and I cried out to God at that time and said, Please, Lord, if you can deliver me out of this war and get me off of these drugs, I'll do anything you want me to do. Uh. And that was the beginning. It wasn't salvation, but he became real close to me. And I could sense his presence all the way through that war. And then I was wounded. I ended up in a hospital. And I lost five more of my friends. And when you face life and death situations, you think about what really matters. You know, life is just a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. And you start thinking about those serious things when you face life and death. And so in that hotel room, knowing that now in total eight of your friends were gone, where did you think they went? Well, you know, uh, I knew you didn't have to do anything to go to hell, but I wasn't sure what you needed to do to go to heaven. And, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a Bible. My friends weren't reading Bibles. You know, we weren't in a Christian church setting. But God does speak a language that we all understand. And uh, he was speaking to me in the only way that he could, you know. I, I thank the Lord that I had a little Sunday school training when I was a little boy. I heard about Jesus. You know, I heard about that that he left the 99 in a fold and went out to find that one lost sheep. And I think God brought me all the way back to my little Sunday school days. And I knew there was a God. I just didn't know how to find him. But he was trying to find me. And it would be a few more months after I got out of Vietnam that I was directed to a place where I could find God. What was that place? I was still back in the States after Vietnam, drinking, drugging, going to all these rock concerts and things, but my life was so empty. And I didn't have any Christian friends in my life. But, you know, God was still working. And, uh, you know, I, I picked up a paper one day, and I saw that there was this... Uh, a Pentecostal church revival, not too far from where I was living in Coronado, down in Imperial Beach. And something just spoke to me and said, if you go there, you'll find what you're looking for. And a week later, you know, I headed down to that church. And when I got inside the church, you know, it was a really lively place. I really felt the presence of God. And the man was preaching, you know, about the first church. He was talking about the, the beginning of the church, the birthday of the church, and the book of Acts. And uh, he was talking about Peter as he was preaching that day, and and uh, he he quoted the message that Peter preached. He said, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you and your children, and to those that are far off." And then he said, "If you want it, come on and get it." And I was desperate for God, and I ran down and I got it. Hmm. And where did, where are you now with your walk? 
since that experience, it really changed my life. In fact, it was such a lifestyle change that my friends began to notice. And I witnessed to a lot of my friends. We had 100 teammates in UDT-11, and a revival broke out. I started bringing them to church, and there was a whole bunch of us that repented and got right with God. And out of that little revival, five of my UDT buddies got called to preach. And so I went off to a Bible college, and uh, I've given my life over ever since. I've been doing missionary work overseas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, God sent me back to Vietnam. I was in the Philippines back in the 80s during the People Power Revolution. And I heard about a refugee camp there where the Vietnamese and Cambodians and Laotians were escaping on those little boats. And when I walked into that camp, I spent a couple of days there. The presence of God came all over me, and I knew that God was calling me back to those countries. And in the early 90s, I made a trip back to Vietnam for the very first time. <clears throat> it was very emotional. Landing in Hanoi, I was walking the streets with my wife, and people came up to me. They noticed that we were foreigners, and they asked some questions in broken English, and they found out that I was an American, and then they found out I had fought in the war. And there was a man that came out of the shadows, and he grabbed me. And I, I was thinking, well, this guy's going to finish the job, you know. And I felt very uncomfortable because his embrace lasted for a long time. But then it dawned on me what he was doing. He couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak Vietnamese. But he was basically saying, hey, man, the war's over. I've moved on. How about you? And at that moment, I knew God was calling me back to Vietnam, not to carry an M-16 this time, but to carry his Holy Bible. And I've been making trips ever since. Serving God's an awesome thing. Well, I was trying to rescue astronauts and all of that. God was trying to rescue me. I just didn't know it at the time. You know, life is like a maze. Sometimes you you see those little mazes in comic books and things, newspapers. You start off in the center somewhere and you try to work your way out. You go down all these dead-end streets. Well, I was going down all those dead-end streets, and finally, I finally found the, the road to life, found the Lord. And my whole life has changed ever since. So now I understand that you have written a new book? Yes, it's called Splashdown, uh, The Rescue of a Navy Frogman. What does that title mean? Well, it's kind of a play on words, you know. There's a picture of me on that Apollo 11 capsule with my flowers. And uh, the book takes, it's a historical book. It takes people through the uh, SEAL team training I went through, uh, the Apollo rescue, the Vietnam War. But there's a fine thread all the way through there that helps people discover what they're really looking for in life. Uh, they're looking for the Lord, but they don't know it. And uh, the book ends with my testimony. It's a great tool to give somebody that you're trying to witness to the Lord about, because many people are interested in the Vietnam War. They're interested in the Apollo recovery and that SEAL team training. But they also discover that there's a God working in between all those pages subtly trying to lead us to him. John Wolfram, now a pastor, served twice in Vietnam and has received many commendations, including the Purple Heart. He now lives in Georgia with his wife, Deborah. Together, they've ministered in 30 countries around the world and continue efforts to this day. To learn more about John Wolfram Ministries or to find out about his new book, Splashdown, The Rescue of a Navy Frogman, visit johnwolfram.org. That's J-O-H-N-W-O-L-F-R-A-M dot org. For K-Love, I'm Laura Daniels.
Wow, John, every time I hear that testimony, as long as I've known you, I'm still just so amazed at how God saved you and rescued you and and how you've just parlayed that into rescuing so many other people spiritually. I just have to ask you, though, a question that's just kind of been on my mind, and that is, you know, when you were in uh, Saigon, you were in Vietnam, and you felt that... Um, the Lord was really speaking to you through all of that that you were going through. And you said something in this testimony that, that really just sort of stuck in my mind. You said you remembered something about the Lord uh, when you were a child. You, didn't, you knew you didn't have to do anything to go to hell, but you weren't sure what you had to do to go to heaven. Do you really look back and, and credit the fact that maybe you had some exposure to Sunday school as a child? that really helped you to know, hey, you don't have to give up, that there is a God that loves you and has a purpose and a plan for your life? Definitely. I'm not sure, you know, how it would have worked out uh, if I hadn't had some basic knowledge of uh, Sunday school. Uh, it was a Trinity Lutheran church setting that I went to. <clears throat> and I remember we're just young kids and I knew we ran off about four teachers a year. But uh, some of those sweet teachers got through to us. You know, there was always a soft spot in my heart for going to Sunday school. And I used to go to the church with my grandmother on those Easter morning early services. And I even joined the choir. And uh, my brother and I were acolytes. You know, we got to light the candles and all that stuff. But then after, uh, you know, a confirmation, most of the kids in our my high school you finish that in your first year of junior high and it seemed like nobody went back to church and then life went on and I, re I really wasn't trying to serve God. I didn't go to church services anywhere, but uh, when you face life and death situations like uh, what you face in Vietnam, there was just something that connected. And during that time period of my life, my second tour, especially, it just seemed like, um, my life really went down to the bottom because of uh, the drugs that I was taking at that time and all the other things. God just showed up. And, uh, you know, nobody can come to the Lord except the Spirit of the Lord draw you. And, uh, you know, like you said, God hung in there. For some reason, it just showed up. And I could feel his presence and I could feel his love. And uh, I was smoking dope and uh, drinking and living a real immoral life, but God was there. And uh, I don't know how people can turn to the Lord without his presence drawing you. It just seems like it would just be an empty void, but God does show up and he touches people's hearts. And at it, that period of time, it was so real, just so real. And then when I got back to the United States, um, of course, I didn't run to a church. We continued on in our party life, but he just hung in there. I would go to these uh, rock concerts and stuff, and then I, all of a sudden my eyes started to open. I would see all these kids sitting on the floor, smoking their weed, listening to the bands, and it just didn't make any sense anymore. It seemed frivolous, you know. And uh, the presence of God was so strong. And when I picked up that newspaper that day, and saw that little advertisement that talked about a Pentecostal revival. I had no idea what a Pentecostal church was, but there was such a strong presence of God that came on me to go there. 
Uh, and when I when I went, it was just everything that uh, God wanted me to hear and receive. The, the man of God was speaking about the first church, you know, the day of Pentecost and all of those wonderful things. I never heard about that before. But there was something that drew me to that altar. And I was just, I, I was a broken man by the time I hit that altar and I just wept and cried and poured out my soul. And that night God did fill me with the Holy Ghost and uh, spoke in tongues. And uh, they baptized me in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget what, what a feeling that was, having my sins washed away. But uh, as you, you remember, the, uh, the events of me going to that church didn't stop. Uh, I, I become just a kind of like a raving, you know, evangelist. I, I didn't know anything except what God did for me. But when I shared it with my friends and my teammates, uh, that was also amazing. You know, back in that time period of 1969 and 1970, uh, Hal Lindsey had a book out, The Late Great Planet Earth. And there was, a, there was a Jesus movement going on at the same time. Young hippies were getting baptized in the ocean and, you know, they were living in these communes and it was just kind of a strange time. So I guess that God was just, at that moment of time, touching the world. It's the Catholics were receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And there was just a lot of things going on, all these crusades. And so maybe my teammates were also being dealt with by the Lord. But it, now I look back, it just surprises me in some ways. They all came to church. I could pack up my band just by asking them to come with you know, we, we had 10, 15 guys sitting in our church pew every night of that revival. And then the marvelous thing was God touched their hearts and they were going to an altar and God was filling them with the Holy Ghost. And as I talk to many of them now, years later, they tell me, you know, God was working in their life similar like me. You know, nobody just shows up. I think there's a period where God just reaches out and touches people's hearts and he draws people. And I was just at the right place at the right time. And so were my friends. And, you know, five of our nine, five of us uh, Navy frogmen got called to the ministry. Four of us ended up in the United Pentecostal Church. Wow. That's so powerful. You know, when you first went to that, that little church and you were so hungry for the Lord, was it important, you think, that that very first night you felt the power of God, you received the, the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. Now, if you had gone to that service and, and not felt the power of God, do you think that you would have returned? Probably not because I was church shopping. I had gone to about a, you know 10 or 12 different churches before I went there, just kind of looking, and uh, I wasn't being fed or satisfied in my spirit. I had a young man witness to me at, the, at work that was uh, of another denomination. And I went to his church and, you know, was, they were good people and, you know, it just didn't hit me, but I, God knew what I needed. And uh, it was such a powerful conversion that, I mean, I went cold turkey, I went back to my apartment, I got rid of all my dope. I got rid of all the paraphernalia. In fact, I filled up a pillowcase and then drove down to that San Diego Bay and dumped it in the, in the ocean, you know. And uh, I just, that was it. No more drinking. 
no more drugs, just cold turkey, bang. And the, my, my roommate and all my friend, teammates saw the change. They just couldn't believe it. So I think the lifestyle that I was living at that time, the drastic change got their attention. And then when they went out to that little church, and you know, you have a pretty good sized congregation, but this little church that I went to, you know, there could have been 55, 60 people in it, but it doesn't matter how big or how small, if the people that are in that building know how to worship and love God, and they, they pull down the power of God, and uh, we felt it, and God changed our lives. Wow. You know, Brother John, there's so many people that get saved and have that same experience, and yet they don't stick. You know, you've been preaching the gospel now for close to 50 years. And, you know, you've seen, you've been a soul winner from day one. You won all of those seal mates early on. And, you know, I'm just curious, was there something that was in your training and the training of your teammates, that, that stickability that never quit? Was there something in there that helped you guys have a, a determination to make it? Because there were so many of you that, that were saved for so long and went into the ministry. And was there something that was a part of the, the DNA of, of your teammates that gave them sort of a leg up to say, you know what, this is a new challenge and it is a challenge, um, but we can do this. We're, we're, well, they we're did. Navy they SEALs. Did that help you? Uh, no doubt they had something to do with it, but uh, I want to give more credit to the Lord in my training. You know, I think it was such such a real experience. And it was such a mind-blowing revelation that there was a God that spoke to you and a God that is real and alive. And he answered your prayers. And, and you know, there's just so many miracles that were taking place around us at that time that I think that in, in the prayer and the fasting that went into overcoming that life. Uh, those first several, you know, maybe a dozen years it took me just to pray and fast probably more days than I ate back in those days to overcome all of those things that we were involved in. But I think training helped there, the discipline of the prayer and the fasting. But, uh, you know, God was so real. Anybody that gets a good dose of the Holy Spirit, and gets a good understanding of the word of God. I don't know how in the world they could walk away, but uh, some do. Yeah. You know, from there you went to Bible school and, and uh, you met your wife and went into ministry and ended up being a missionary. And you know, in that video that we showed, you, you shared a little bit about how you end up feeling your call to go back uh, to Vietnam. I just want to ask you a couple of questions about that. You know, when you felt your call uh, to go to Vietnam, do you think that there was any relation between that and the fact that you had uh, served in Vietnam as a Navy SEAL? Definitely. But, you know, uh, before I went into missions, I was in Wisconsin, and um, they, the news was they built that Vietnamese memorial that was going on. A lot of the Vietnam veterans now were writing books, and I, I this this was in the eighties, and uh, you know early eighties. I was just fascinated with all this Vietnam stuff. 
I didn't know at the time that God was calling me to Vietnam. I went to the South Pacific. But uh, God changed that after just one short year. We were asked to take a, a work in the Philippines among the military. And I heard about a refugee camp uh, with the Cambodians, the Laotians, and the Vietnamese that were escaping these countries in these little rickety boats. And I just had to go. And uh, I went and I spent a couple of days there. And it just, it just hit me so hard. I had no idea how this feeling of going somewhere was such a strong call. It took several years. You couldn't really go back to Vietnam at that time that wasn't really open for tourists and things like that. But as soon as it was, and I made my first trip, it was just over. I, you know, there are, there are special moments in your life. And I've been in the ministry for quite a while, like you say, almost 50 years. And there's only maybe two or three uh, assignments that God called me in that I could really say that uh, he, he had a purpose for me being there and joining him. And those are the most successful moments in my life. Now, Vietnam was definitely one of the highlights. It was probably the strongest feeling I ever had in a ministry. And he, God paved the way, God opened the door, God protected me. Uh, the, the nation of Vietnam wasn't ready for missionaries. It had to be all underground. The, the beginning of those um, first trips, even the local people had to hide. They, they would take their Bibles away. They had to uh, hide from the government. But God opened doors. We, we were invited to teach in so many of those homes and so many of those places. And it was just a, just amazing what God would, would, would do in those early days and even today. No, I remember, I remember you talking. came over, you know, and and yeah. we had a we had a, a policeman show up at one of our events. We had to hide in the back room, but that was nothing like the first days. You know, the church had to hide in the back room, but you know, that was just some right. of the missionaries that were coming around. But uh, yeah. you know, and you baptized a lot of folks in the swimming pool and different things, and we had a little tub, you know, that looked like a barrel. We went to one church and we we're baptizing people in the barrel. But the, the people were hungry, you know. Yeah. yeah. And they're still hungry. And now you built, yeah. they're still hungry. And now you built that beautiful Bible school there in Vietnam. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, um, I, I ended up uh, living in the Philippines and I, I was uh, the president of the Bible school there for a while. And then I taught there before I was a president and I taught there after I was president. And students in from Vietnam and uh, we, we we would raise funds and then uh, they would come over and they had to stay there a whole year in the year of Bible school so we really got there uh, in understanding the, the truth of the Bible one young man had gone to four years of a Mennonite Bible college and uh, he uh, was converted went back and he they allowed him to teach in that Mennonite school that he just graduated from, and he converted three fourths of the people and rebaptized everybody. And uh, this young man was such a jewel that we just started focusing in on what he did. Today, he's baptized close to 1,800 people in Jesus' name. And uh, he was a good man to uh, support. So we decided to build the Bible school, and uh, they'll be going into the third year when he opened up. And the people that have attended this Bible school 
uh, are ministers and every one of them gets new understanding of the word of God and they, they're excited about what he teaches them. And we're just seeing a tremendous revival right now. Wow. I'll never forget that time that we had a chance to be together in Vietnam and seeing those people just so hungry for the Lord and going even house to house and all the great experiences that we had. You know, um, John, if someone's watching now and they have a desire to do something uh, for the nation of Vietnam, I know there's been such a stronghold of communism over the years. And uh, you've even shared with me some of your early experiences of going in there and knowing that during the night, you know, that that people came into the room and went through your stuff. And <laughs> of course, while I was over there, I was I had one eye on the on the doorknob all night. But, you know, if people have a desire to be involved uh, in missions and in particular from Vietnam, what, what how would you direct them to to be involved in that? Well, definitely we need prayer. Uh, the folks over there, you know, this uh, virus that just went through the world had hit Vietnam as well. And some of the churches over there are a little concerned about opening up again, if the government is going to use this as a, a means to kind of put their hand upon all the churches again. So they're kind of just waiting to see what happens. So they definitely need your prayers. And, uh, you know, uh, people sponsor missionaries through the churches and things like that. And if anybody felt led to, to help our uh, ministers over there, uh, we we uh, have a Bible school that's paid for, but uh, it costs money to run it. Uh, the people are pretty poor that go there, and so they have to feed them. And, uh, you know, the staff uh, is pretty much doing it voluntarily. It's nice to, to help them financially once in a while. There's, there's those kind of needs. And then evangelism. Uh, our this young man likes to go out. He likes to make trips. He that costs money. We 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 sponsor him, and so if anybody felt led to help, uh, you know, go see your pastor, and I'm sure that he'll pass it on. Amen. Absolutely. So thankful we've been able to be a part of the Bible school. Um, all of our church family at Eastwind, their heart for missions is has just been amazing over the years. And of course, um, just our our trust and faith and belief in the great work that you do uh, has just led us to partner with you on so many different occasions. But I know the need is great, and I know there's always an opportunity to, to do more. Do you still go to Vietnam on a regular basis? Yes, I had a trip planned a couple months ago, and I'm, I'm glad we didn't go. We'd have been stuck there for quite a while, but uh, we decided yeah. to cancel. Uh, I, I still make two, uh, three trips every year and uh, sure. continue as long as I have my health and God yeah. may be there. We're talking with John Wolfram and uh, we're talking about how the Lord saved him. He was a Navy SEAL and uh, was involved in being the first human in the water, the first individual to greet the astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins, as they returned from being the first people on the surface of the moon as they came back to Earth. Uh, John Wolfram, that smiling face in your screen, was the first human being that they saw as he gave them a thumbs up and uh, welcomed them back to Earth and then served as a SEAL in Vietnam and God saved him and 
called him into the ministry and he's been a missionary for many, many years over there. And John, you wrote a book called The Rescue um, Splashdown, I believe is the title of it. Yeah, uh, the, the Rescue, the rescue of Navy Frogman. And I, I was just looking at our comments and a friend of ours, Jeff Feist, said, I read his inspiring book about 30 years ago. It's great seeing this interview tonight. Jeff, we welcome you. So glad. How awesome is that? 30 years ago, he wrote, he read your book. Tell us a little bit about what led you to, to actually put your testimony in book form. Um, it was a healing process. I was a missionary in uh, the Philippines at the time, and it was uh, the 80s. And uh, I just decided I had to go back, and I knew I had to deputize. And uh, I just felt that God led me to write my, my testimony out. And as I went through it stage by stage and step by step, there was a great amount of healing that went on. Uh, before I went to Vietnam to kind of relive those feelings. You know, I lost uh, five Navy SEAL teammates that were stationed in the same place I was, and I lost three high school friends, and I was wounded. And uh, there's a lot of feelings, you know, when you go through it, you're young and uh, you come back, and some of those feelings don't really come out until years later. And all of a sudden, you just uh, have flashbacks, and there's a rush of emotions, and sometimes... You know, I, I, I deal, I have friends today that are so messed up. They were, they were in the Navy or the Marines the same time I was. And uh, they never got their life together. And uh, they never found the Lord when I did. And I, I credit that to really, really bringing things to the surface that needed to be dealt with. Uh, you know, I've, I've been to the VA and they wanted to know if I want to see psychiatrists and stuff, you know, because they knew that I was a Purple Heart veteran and all that. I said, no, I said, I get my counsel from prayer and the Lord and all that. And they kind of smile. But there's a lot of truth to that, you know. There is. The Lord's yeah. a good counselor. The Lord just keeps healing. What is it that you would uh, you'd like to do going forward? Um, you still got some things on ahead of you on your bucket list. I'll, you know, one one thing I'm very pleased about, I did not want to go to Vietnam and then see it fall apart. I wanted to see something that would be sustained. I wanted to see a perpetual uh, revival, and you have to have the right people. We have a Bible school. I believe in that kind of training. I believe in and that that's going to be very successful. We've these converted all these ministers already. Uh, it's just amazing what God's doing. So I feel like, you know, if God would take me home today, there would be something that would keep going in Vietnam that would be perpetual. We've got some folks there that are really sold on our message and are doing a great yeah, job. And absolutely. they have a calling. They have a calling uh, to, to do the work of God, which is just makes my heart sing, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like every field uh, that we go into, whether it's the Amazon or the Philippines or Madagascar, uh, Guatemala, there's so there's so much that can be said about the strength of the work being directly tied to the Bible school. Yeah. And when you talk about the Bible school and you talk about training the nationals, do you really see that that's what stabilizes the work in any country? Yeah. You know, um, we make we've been making 
trips, you know, ever since the early 80s. And we do seminars, uh, one day or two day seminars, sometimes three day seminars with a group of people. And that, that just touches the surface and then you leave. But these men that we got now, uh, they're there. They were they were trained in the Philippines. They understand what uh, we understand, and now they they spend all day with them for a whole week, and then a month, and then three months, and six months. So they're establishing people through the Word of God, just like we were established here in Bible schools or in churches. And so that that's the key. It's getting a foundation where people get a hold of the message like I did back when I first got saved that kept me for 50 years, you know, and the same thing's yeah. happening there. Wow. Through the, through you also the spent teaching. a lot of time in those. Yeah, we, we, I took a curriculum that I was teaching in the Philippines. Uh, and we, we hired a young lady that uh, I, we brought to the Philippines. She could speak English and she was taught for a year. We paid her for a whole year and she's uh translated all the books and the things from English into Vietnamese that she t was taught there for the whole year. So we have a complete curriculum that really helped. Wow. You know, you also, I know we're kind of up against the clock, but I just wanted to ask you this, you know, as we're dealing with this COVID-19 virus and people are looking at, you know, really how does this all fit into prophecy and, and um, what is this? Is this the beginning of the end in terms of, you know, signs of the time? And, and yet we know the, the Bible tells us that, you know, the gospel is going to be preached in every nation and then the Lord is going to return. You did a lot of work down in all those islands and down in the South Pacific. And are there actually islands that are down there that we've not yet taken the gospel to? I believe so. I, I see that the Pacific uh, R.D., putting out, uh, you know, SOS for missionaries to go to certain places. And uh, there's a lot of little islands. There's a lot of work to be done there. And there's still, I don't know if they've got enough missionaries to be on all those particular places or not. But uh, we saw a lot of uh, good things happen when we were there. And it's been 20 years since I've been over there, but uh, I hear good things. Yeah. yeah. If somebody feels like, and I know this will be our last question, thank you so much for your time. You've been so kind and generous, and it's always so fascinating to talk with you. And uh, we just appreciate your your ministry. Now, I just want to ask you this this one final question: If if a person may be feeling that the Lord is calling them to be a missionary, they have a burden for missions, and and maybe uh, tonight or even over the course of the next several nights, as people are hearing different um, stories and people that are in different parts of the world are going to be sharing their testimonies. If someone feels a burden for missions, what would be your advice to them? You know, I don't know anyone that has not made one trip to a foreign field that has not come back changed. And uh, I know everybody can't do that, but uh, I, I, you know, I have not been on a foreign field in my life at one time except through the military. And I guess by being in some of these places, you see things that you don't see at home. Um, there's a great need out there. And just making one mission trip sometimes on a, with a local church or a youth program or whatever changes people forever. 
Uh, we're a blessed nation. We have a lot of problems right now. There's a lot of controversy going on in America, but you just make one trip to one of these third world countries and you'll come back and you'll see the difference. Yeah. You'll be bit but, you by know, the dog. The thing that I want to just leave is that um, if, if, you, if you can hear God's voice and you can get a relationship with God, God will show you what he's doing in a certain place. And if he invites you to join him, you're going to have the time of your life. You're going to be very successful. God's at work everywhere. Not everybody can go everywhere. But if God invites you to join him, go because uh, you'll you'll be blessed. Wow. Well, we've been talking with John Wolfram, missionary for many, many years. God saved him as a Navy SEAL, uh, was a frogman, rescuer of astronauts during the uh, NASA Apollo uh, missions, and just um, a person that has had a very interesting life and in how God has, has used him and just been able to be such a light and uh, to be a, a person that can take the gospel to so many different places. And um, Brother John, we just so uh, appreciate you and your ministry, and we look forward to when you're, you're back down in Palm Bay and can join us at East Wind. Uh, we've remodeled the church, so you've got to come and see it. It's, it's like a brand new church now. <laughs> got to keep that East Wind blowing. Yeah, that's right. We've got to keep that East Wind blowing. And uh, we're so glad that you have joined us tonight. To all of our viewers and listeners, thank you for joining us. And uh, we remind you that tomorrow night at 7 p.m., uh, Brother Bruce Howe, our uh, International Global Missions Director, is going to be with us and be addressing uh, East Wind Pentecostal Church. And then on Tuesday night, we're going to be hearing from Nathan Herod, who is in Barcelona, Spain. He's a missionary in Spain, but he's still quarantined in his apartment but he preached a message for us uh, from his apartment in Spain. And uh, then Wednesday night at seven will be brother Brian Abernathy as he talks about prophecy and global missions. Thursday night, brother Corbin from Bangladesh going to tell us about the great revival in Bangladesh. And then brother Charles Robinette, who is uh, in Berlin, Germany, and uh, he's been preaching from his apartment, but the neighbors have complained and, the officials came and shut him down and said he can't preach from his apartment anymore. But he said, I'll go and stand in a park and preach to East Wind. So we're looking forward to this week as we uh, just continue to uh, fill the airways as much as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, John, thank you so much Bless for joining you. us. And we'll look forward to when we can be together again. All right. Preach your family and your church. God bless. Yeah, likewise. Likewise, greet your family for us as well. So love you guys. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow night at 7 p.m. God bless you in Jesus' name.